How are you, family? Doing okay? Excellent. Those on site are doing well. Let me hear a little cheer. And those online are doing okay. Let me hear the click of a keyboard cheer. Okay, good. We'll check later. Uh, it's awesome that you're with us, however, whichever format you're on. Isn't it weird now in church? We're like, um, we're in two places at once. We're on the interwebs and we're also here in person. We're glad that you're here, whichever way you're joining us. And uh, I want to say this team that uh, you just saw the video about that we went to India with, uh, with the very, very auspicious Dr. Jacob Koshi and myself as the serious brains trust of the team. Hey, Dr. Koshi. And making sure all these other young people didn't go crazy and uh, we had an alternative video called India Gone Wild, but we can't show you that one in church. But you do need to know all members of the mission team were Christian by the time they got back, which is pretty cool. We sorted them out, didn't we, Dr. Koshi? And uh, we're still working on James, but that's okay. Listen, you might have a question going through your mind. There's so many needs in the world. There's so many issues. There's so many problems. And they're all around our society and they're all around our world. And they're all through our church. They're in my life and they're in your life. And some of the problems are my problem and some of the problems are your problem. Some of it's my fault, some of it's your fault. Some of it's not anyone's fault, it's just the terrible rigours of life, isn't it? And so you might be wondering, well, why are we talking so much about mission? Because we've got all these other problems and I've got this stuff going on and I've got my own stuff and now you're trying to make me think about the nations of the earth and our church is in a very challenging area. So why are we caring about nations on the other side of the earth? And it's really interesting that in this season, starting in the last week of May, which was Pentecost Sunday, everybody say Pentecost. Uh, we've begun this series called People of the Thunder where we are looking at the story of the day of Pentecost and how that radically shifted the, the earth's expression of the people of God. And it radically shifted it because before that, when God manifested at Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments and brought the law, he manifested in wind and in fire and in thunder. And then on the day of Pentecost, we're going to read the story again soon, just in case you're not too familiar with it. God, again, on the day of Pentecost, man manifested in wind and in fire. But there was no thunder on the day of Pentecost. The, the, there was no thunder, but there was a voice in the church. Everybody say a voice. And we're talking now about what the Spirit does as a result of the value of Pentecost, and that is it turns the church into the place of thunder. In the Old Testament, God spoke and thunder struck the sky. This thunder came from the sky. It was so scary that the early hearers drew back and said, we don't want to go near God. But on the day of Pentecost, the thunder was sounded in a voice that came from God's people. The thunder wasn't in the sky. The thunder was in the church and the thunder came through the church. And instead of the hearers being scared and drawing back, they actually drew near. And there's this great little mirror image that when the law was given on Mount Sinai, 3,000 people drew back and died. And then on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came into the kingdom of God when they heard the thunder that came through God's church. If you haven't been tracking with us, you could get on our YouTube channel or our podcast or Spotify or something like that, and you could check out those messages. One of them, the, the one from uh, Pentecost Sunday, is a little bit complex, so we can't repeat it all today. But we're doing this series at the moment called People of the Thunder, and we're noticing that what God wants to do is God wants to sound his voice in planet Earth, but the day of Pentecost changed everything because the voice that is heard is not thunder from the sky. The voice comes through God's people now. And Jesus left his church with a mission. It's a mission that we partner with him in. It's a co-mission. And that great 
commission comes. In the words of Jesus, that his people would go and make disciples of all nations. The way Mark says it, go and preach the gospel to all creation. That means get out and spread this stuff everywhere. And so before we're people who respond to our own crisis, before we're people who respond to global crises, before we're people who respond to local crisis, we are Bible people. And friends, if we're Bible people, we are spirit people. I'm going to say it again. If we're Bible people, we're spirit people. There's been a history in the church where sort of some denominations are known for their focus on the Bible and others are known for their focus on the spirit. And it's almost like this stupid dichotomy has been birthed in the modern world that says you can only have one or the other. Isn't that stupid? That's like in wintertime. How many people love wintertime in Alice where we get to light our fire? It's pretty cool, huh? That's like saying, do you want fire or do you want wood? Well, I, I, I would kind of think without one, you can't have the other. You could just have all wood, but it can't light itself on fire. And you could have only fire and get rid of all wood, but then pretty soon you won't have fire for very long. Isn't that true? And so you need the fire, but you need what fuels it. Who can say amen? amen. And so if we are word people, we are spirit people. And we're in this season where we're looking. And you know, I have to be honest with you. God has spoken to me about our church and the two convictions that I am living with every day. And every time I pray with you, every time I worship, every time I pray for you, every time I open God's word, I hear the stirring of the Holy Spirit saying to us two things. Number one, we've got to get passionate about the presence of the spirit in the church again. We've got to get passionate about it, you understand. It's not that we've got to tolerate it. It's not that we've got to accept it. It's not that we've got to say, well, it's fine for him and fine for her. But we ourselves have to be passionate about what it is that God has planned for the way that he relates to us now. And he does not relate to us by thunder and lightning from the sky. He relates to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus invisible, who comes into our lives. The one that Jesus said, I won't leave you on your own. But I will ask the Father and he will send you another. Everybody say another. Another comforter. Another in the Greek language means one just like me. And Jesus sits enthroned beside God's right hand in heaven now, but has sent to us the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us and through us everything that Jesus was when Jesus walked and talked and planted earth. So the truth is the earth is not without an expression of Jesus. The expression of Jesus is now found in a Holy Spirit-empowered church. And listen, many of us are used to living as Christian humanists, where what we have as Christianity is just a set of beliefs, just a set of doctrines, just a set of precepts. Do you know if that's all you have, if that's all we have, then what we have is not Christianity, friends. What we have is religion. There's actually a very easy morph for, the, for, for Christianity to go from being a vital, dynamic union with Jesus Christ to become an ideology and a religion. And if it's just an ideology and a religion, it has no more superior power in planet Earth than Buddhism or Hinduism. I just want you to let, to let you sink that in. It's not just the ideas of Christianity that make Christianity superior. It is that the ideas of Christianity lead you to a vital, life-filled interface with the God that made the universe, who wants to live in us and move through us. 
So if we don't have the dynamic interface with the God of the universe, that's called a relationship, by the way, then all we have is religion. And guess what? Religion doesn't save us. It doesn't save us. Religion does not transform. Religion does not advance. Religion does not heal. And it certainly doesn't deliver. In fact, it stacks on bondages. And I think there's no more disgusting religion on the face of planet Earth than religious Christianity, which is without the spirit and is only ideas that you think about in your mind. It's disgusting. You know, last year, Danielle and I were greatly privileged to travel to Europe. And as we're traveling around there, the, 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 the vehemence of people when you talk to them about things of the Christian faith, because they all believe through their culture they are experts in Christianity. And they're now saying Europe is a post-Christian world. And one of the reasons they're saying that is because everybody in Europe thinks we know what Christianity is. It's the religion that we've rejected. But there's this revival going on in churches over there where people have rediscovered it's not just a religion, it's actually a relationship. And so there's this revival fire in some of the churches we visited, Danielle, where God is moving and they're growing right in the middle of the center in Copenhagen in Denmark. Amazing churches springing up, filled with thousands of people who've just discovered that it's not religion, it is a relationship. Don't we want the town we live in to understand it's a relationship and not a religion? Well, then if they're ever going to understand it, it's only going to be through us. Religion says, wait for God's thunder from the sky. Pentecost says, wait for God's thunder to come through his church. It's a vital change and the significance of it, the magnitude of it, the amazing factor that it is should not be underestimated. The second thing that God's talking about is not only that we have to rediscover a passion for the presence of the Holy Spirit that drives us, but that we will never truly achieve our mission as a church or make much progress even unless we are passionate about the presence of the Holy Spirit. You could call the book of Acts a chronicle of how Jesus continued to spread his kingdom around planet Earth through his church, which was filled by the Holy Spirit. What you see in the book of Acts successively, it's got geographical spread. If you read each chapter and mark it on a map, you'll see that Jerusalem is a ground zero and there's this shockwave of the gospel that spreads out and goes to the very ends of the earth. Starts in Jerusalem, ends in Rome with a very abrupt ending. And who's ever read the book of Acts and think, gee, that was an underwhelming finish? Finishes in Acts chapter, chapter 28, almost like half a sentence cut off and you're like, what, is that it? What about disappointing Netflix series? where they leave you hanging. Who likes that? Don't pretend you're not all watching Netflix in COVID-19 lock-in. And they leave you hanging and you're like, oh, what's going on? But of course, in Acts chapter 28, the reason why it has an ambiguous ending is because the conclusion of the story will not be found in a book. The conclusion of the story will be found in our lives. We are invited to join Jesus in chronicling Acts chapter 29, Acts chapter 30, Acts chapter 31, Acts chapter... We, we are envisioned by, by Jesus that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and we would write a new chapter of history as we now, filled with God's Spirit, take the gospel to all the nations. And so today we're going to talk about what happens when the thunder of God sounds through the church. Because it is different. Some of us aren't used to thinking about this the ways that the Bible asks us to think about it. In the video, you would have seen Cameron say, sure, there was a language barrier. Do you remember that bit? Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't Cam just got such great engagement with the camera? Yeah. 
when I was editing that video, it was really hard to cut down everything he was saying because he just sort of earnestly gazes at the camera and bears his soul. I thought, man, you should be on TV, fella. And he's so handsome, newly, freshly engaged to Belinda. There they are up the back there, sitting together in their matchy-matchy outfits. Colour-coordinated texted each other this morning saying, what should I wear? That'll go with my ring. Congratulations, you two. And he said, sure, there was a language barrier, but that didn't stop us connecting. I want you to think about that. Do you know if you had to summarise everything that the book of Acts is about, maybe you'd say it that way, sure, there's a barrier, but that doesn't stop the spread of the gospel. That doesn't stop the advancement of God's kingdom. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 2 again, and then we're going to talk a couple of things about what happens to us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start from verse 1. It's the second chapter of Acts from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pause button. This statement is more than just geography. In the Greek, it says they were all together, together. That's the, the best translation I've ever heard, and that comes from that great Bible scholar, Amy Glass, who's in our midst. We were having a discussion about the Greek text and its interpretation, and she said, the best way I could put it is they were all together, together, and I thought, that is brilliant. Man, I wish I had a thought of that. And if I ever talk about this scripture passage anywhere outside Alice Springs, I always make everyone else think, I came up with that translation. <laughs> The King James used to say they were all together in one accord. And uh, it's a brilliant idea. They were all together together. That means that not only were they together geographically, but they were together in heart and mind. They were together in unity. They were all together in one place. It's not just that they were in one place. Does that make sense? Their hearts and minds were joined. In the end of the chapter, we're going to talk about it next week, it says that they were all together in one heart and mind, and the Greek word is homothumadon, homothumadon, one passion, homos, the same, thumos, passion, fire, emotional heat, and it says that the church were of one, one heart and mind, they were of the same passion, and that is why they became a force that spread the gospel all around planet Earth, in spite of their own challenges, in spite of their own weaknesses, in spite of the fact that the Roman army and the Jewish people were trying to kill them and stamp them out, but it only made the church spread more. You've done so well in this series of uh, restrictions to do with this global pandemic. And what you've shown for yourselves and you've shown our world and you've shown us is that the church is not defined by the address of the building on the corner. The church is defined by a strong relational heat of the Jesus who said, where two or more of you gather in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And when you can't gather here, you can gather there and Jesus will be there. Praise God you're here. Jesus is here. And this morning, some of us are here and some of us are there, but Jesus is here and there all the time. Who could say amen? amen. All together. And so this is the thing in this season is even when we're not together, we can still be together. Even when we're not physically proximate, we can still be unified in heart and mind. But listen, it can only happen as a work of the Holy Spirit. You and I can align and attune our heart. There's all sorts of things you're passionate about. There's all sorts of things I'm passionate about. There's people in this church that are passionate about things I don't care about. I care about some things lots and some of you don't care about those things. But the church is one of the few places in the world where we gather together, even though we're just so darn different. Isn't that true? We're a motley crew, different education backgrounds, different ethnic groups, different cultural backgrounds, different bank balances, different interests, 
in a room like this, a patchwork of different beliefs and how we interpret different bits of the Bible and all sorts of stuff. And yet in the midst of it, on a common mission where we are joined together in heart and mind by the Holy Spirit. And it is that unity that becomes the power bank of how God uses us as his church here in Alice Springs and around the world. Can I get an amen in the house? Okay, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because Luke has told us there was 120 of them, even men, women, and children, which was weird because in, previous, in the previous history, religious gatherings did not include men, women, and children together. It kind of only included the men and the women were allowed to eavesdrop a little bit. But here, the Holy Spirit falls on everybody present. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter your gender. Doesn't matter what's going on. You can receive the power of God's Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. amen. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Say, say every nation. And what you need to know about this is in Jerusalem in the first century, there was a lot of controversy around which Jews were better. The Jews that lived in Jerusalem and spoke Hebrew, they, they, they were considered to be the superior ones, okay? So there was a hierarchy. There was different parts of the temple reserved for those who were from different ethnic groups. And the Jewish Jews were allowed right into the inner sanctum to worship. And then there was the court of the Gentiles for those who were from other countries and had converted to Judaism and all sorts of stuff. But what you need to know is there was an incredible division within the nation of Israel at the time. And the division was mainly along whichever language you spoke, you were part of a hierarchy. And the more ethnically diverse you were from those Hebrew-speaking Jerusalemites, you were on the outer, you were marginalized, you were less important, you were looked down on. Especially if you came from a nation outside Israel, you were viewed as not a very faithful Jew because surely you should be back living in the promised land, not living out where all these Gentile idol worshippers were. And you have to understand it was a source of major tension within Jerusalem at the time. And this day of Pentecost has come on one of the three great feasts of Israel where all Jewish people are supposed to head towards Jerusalem. There's only three times a year, but they said, if you're a good Jewish person, then you'll come to Jerusalem. And of course, on this day, to the chagrin, to the distaste of the Hebrew-speaking purists in Jerusalem, people from all over the world would come. Even religious tourists that weren't Jewish and weren't God followers, they would come just to see the spectacle of these crazy Jewish people and their amazing temple. And there's a lot of tension and there was conflict. There was messaging that talked about how important you were. And you have to understand all of this lies behind this text to show us something very powerful about what God wants to do through his church and what God wants to do in this world. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Say every nation. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? You should know, by the way, Galileans were frowned upon um, in the ancient world. They were kind of seen as like the country hillbilly hicks. And one of the reasons was that they had refused to accommodate the, 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 the Greek-speaking Gentile languages. And they spoke a very pure form of, of Hebrew and Aramaic mixture that, that was made fun of everywhere because they were seen as old-fashioned and unmodern. They were not seen as urbane. They were seen as country hill folk. And that's part of what you see behind this text is that they're going, hang on a minute, aren't these guys Galileans? How come I can understand what they're saying? 
So part of it is disdain, they're Galileans. The other part is amazement. Hang on, I can understand them. They were utterly amazed. How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. By the way, if you're pregnant, some great names to consider for your sons in there. (laughs) Phrygia and Pamphylia. Pamphylia, what a great girl's name, hey? Anyone expecting? Pamphylia, you can fold her up like a piece of paper. Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It's interesting because most of the time when the world hears the church talking, they say, what does this mean? And the church doesn't have a good answer to that question because we don't speak the language of those around us. We speak this silly thing called Christianese. And it's about time that the world started going, hang on, I can understand what they're saying. What does this mean? And most of the time we live in our little Christian God bubble and we talk our unique Christianese. If you ever appear on our platform in the church, you get strict instructions. We don't speak Christianese from our platform. We talk human because we know that the world is listening. We know our services always have people that don't know Jesus and we want them to understand what's going on. And they said, man, what does this mean? Verse 11, some, however, sorry, verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. (laughs) It's so funny. In the Greek text, it says they've had too much sweet wine or too much new wine. And the funny thing about the new wine is that it had barely fermented yet, which means if you were going to get drunk on new wine, it was the cheap stuff. It wasn't worth anything. You know, if you're a wine buff out there, you know, like the older, the better type of thing. Um, That's what James says about Mez. Um, You... (laughs) But, but, but the new wine is a little fermented, so it's very, very cheap, and it doesn't, like, you know, affect you much. And so when they're looking at these Galileans who they can hear declaring the wonders of God in their language, they're saying, oh, they've, they've had too much new wine. It's actually a bit of an insult. What they're saying is they're so dumb, they, they bought the cheap stuff that is barely fermented, and then they drank so much of the cheap stuff that's barely fermented that they got themselves drunk. It's actually an incredible passage, but it's not the subject of today's text anyway. Take-home messages, buy the good stuff. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> they've, they've had too much wine. And when Peter stood up with the 11, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Listen to what he says. He says, fellow Jews, fellow Jews. Say fellow Jews with me. You've got to understand that no one from all the other nations under heaven had ever had someone address them as a fellow Jew before because the controversy in Israel and the controversy in Jerusalem was, are they really Jews? If they're from Ethiopia, if they're from Rome, if they're from Cappadocia, if they're from Pamphylia, if they're from these other places, could they really be God's people? And Peter gets up and you see this spirit-driven communication to bring them together instead of separate them more. Very interesting for today's climate wouldn't you say? Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, (laughs) see the difference? Fellow Jews and you guys who live in Jerusalem, he's including everybody in what's about to follow. He's bringing together everybody that's listening. All those that the people who lived in Jerusalem said, they're not really Jews. They're not really God's people. They can't be. Peter puts himself in family with them and says, fellow Jews, my friends, he's, he's bringing them together under the sound of his voice. Let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Have you tried that when the cops pull you over in Alice Springs? Uh, Blow on the bag, please, driver. Listen, I'm not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. 
But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to these wonderful prophetic um, passages from two prophets, which tell us about how God will pour his spirit out on all flesh. We're going to talk today about what happens, what the thunder of God sounds like in the church. And listen, the thunder of God doesn't sound like thunder. I've had people write to me and leave our church because in this church, they don't hear what they want to hear. They want to hear a little bit more hellfire and brimstone. They want me to yell at sinners more and they have specific groups of sinners they want me to yell at. Forgetting the group of sinners that they're part of, they haven't asked me to yell at their group. They've had me ask me to yell at specific types of sinners. Ignore some, just concentrate on some others. Give us a bit more fire, give us a bit more brimstone. I'll tell you why you don't hear that from our pulpit, because I won't allow it in the church. And when a preacher stands on this platform and does that, that's the last time they stand on this platform. And I'll tell you why. A lot of people question me on this. A lot of people wonder why we have the accent that we have as a church from our platform. And it's because of what's in this passage today. Because the thunder was on the mountain in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the thunder came through the church. And it didn't sound like thunder that scared people away. It actually brought them together. And I want to talk to you about this so that you and I begin to pray intensely that we would be a church that values Pentecost that we would be a church that values the presence and dynamic power of the Holy Spirit in everything we do, whether we're together, whether we're on mission, whether we're at home, whether we're praying by ourselves, whether we're recreating or whether we're worshipping. Some things happen when the value of Pentecost has a place, its place in our lives. We become people of the thunder. And our church, not the building, the people, the body, the people, the group, Our congregation becomes the way the local people in this town and beyond hear the voice of God. Don't pray for your friend. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them. Don't don't pray that. Because the Holy Spirit exists to fill you so that you could speak to them in a way that is effective and powerful and fruitful. Thunder doesn't sound like thunder. It sounds like speech. I want you to say speech. You don't like the word speech. It's not like make a speech. It's like talking, speaking, chatting, discussing, dialoguing. In Hindi, they have this great word, bachit. It's like chit-chat. I love it. Chat, chit-chat. The thunder of God sounds a lot like chit-chat on the lips of a believer. And of course, it moves us. In this passage on the day of Pentecost, we see that everybody present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result, everybody present did something. Everybody present spoke. And that speech was a declaration of the wonders of God. And that speech was understandable to those who were far away from Christ and who were not yet part of God's kingdom. That speech was understandable to those who even came from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. They were all filled and they all spoke. Before we move on, I want to tell you two things. Number one, the book of, in the book of Acts, what happens next? This speaking in other tongues, speaking in other languages. In the book of Acts, it has two functions. Everybody say two functions. It does not have one function or the other. It has two functions. Everybody, just remind me of that, that I don't lose focus while I'm preaching. Say two functions. The first function is a literal function. Everyone say literal That means it is what it says. It is what it says. That they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they declared forth the praises of God and it came out in speech that they had never learned before and didn't necessarily make sense to them. And you see it all around the world. I've travelled and preached the gospel in so many different countries. 
And I've had people, when we start talking about this stuff, come up to me and say, well, I don't believe in that, so I don't really care whether you believe it or not, but do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in being filled by the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah, I believe in that. Well, then let me pray for you. And the next minute, there they are, speaking off in this other tongue, surprising themselves more than anybody else because of the power of the Holy Spirit through them. It has a literal function, and you do see it today. There is a heresy in the church that says those days are gone. And what I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to run two classes one of the classes I'm going to run is going to be on um, baptism in the Holy Spirit, that, that what should we expect to see today that is reasonable and current, and how does it line up with the Bible, how does it line up with practice, and I'm going to talk about that. I'm not going to do it in a sermon like this, because I need a few hours with you to chit-chat and talk Q&A and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to do a class on that sometime. I'll let you know when it is. The second thing I'm going to do a class on is I'm going to do a class on why it is that our church allows women in ministry. Why do we believe women can be pastors? Why do we allow them to preach? No doubt you would have heard about various scripture verses that say women should be quiet and all this sort of stuff. So why does our church allow women on the platform? And um, both of those issues we handle first as biblical people. Everyone say biblical people. We handle them first as biblical people, then we look at how we practice it. Does that make sense? Okay. Our experience doesn't drive our doctrine. So whether we have experienced something or haven't experienced something, that's not what drives our doctrine. What the scripture teaches us as the normal Christian worldview, that's what drives our doctrine. And then what we do is we seek to have our practice um, live out faithfully what we see in the word. Is that okay? It's called Christianity. So I'm going to do two classes on that. So for now, I don't want to talk about this literal function of speaking in tongues because it's just a very complex issue and I'm afraid there's so much idiotic doctrine going on about that, especially in the lunatic arm of the church, that I don't want to get into it now where I don't have the opportunity to do a good job on it with you. Is that okay? Good, thank you. Everyone say, that's okay, Pastor Ben. So I want to talk to you about this second function that, the, that this tongue speaking serves in the book of Acts. It's a second function. I said there are two, and I said it's not one or the other. It's both. Here's the second one. The first one was literal. Everyone say literal. Okay. The second one is this, literary. There's a difference. Literal means it is what it is. That's it. Literary means this comes to us in written form and in literature. And when you read something in literature, one of the things you're doing is you're saying, does the author that wrote this have a way that they also want me to understand something and change me and change my worldview? And that is called the literary reading of scripture, where what we do is we say, how does the text that's written affect us? And if you love studying the Bible, you just see there's so much joy in understanding the literature that was in this book and how it shapes our worldview. And in the book of Acts, tongues which you see regularly surface, especially regularly surface when people have the Holy Spirit descend upon them. It serves a literary function in the book of Acts. Now, you should understand that there's a literal function, which is about what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. But there's a literary function, which is that it is a broader sign that points to something. And if it's a literary function, what it then also is, is it's also a metaphor, and it is also building a value into my life. Does that make sense? What I did not say is that tongues are only metaphorical because they're not but they are also metaphorical. <laughs> it's one of the complex things about reading the book of Acts is this. Tongues is a sign. It's a literal sign, a sign of what happens when God's Holy Spirit baptizes you, when you get dunked in the Holy Spirit. It's inexplicable. You cannot put into words what's happening, and you will declare the wonders of God in, in a way that you've never learnt language before. It's not a theology test, okay? That's the literal one. But it's also a sign in the literary sense. And that's the thing I want to talk to you about today. That what happens on the day of Pentecost is what the church should be known for, whether you actually speak in tongues or not. 
whether you ever experienced that or not. The church should be massaged by this passage and have our future, should have our practice, should have our postures, and should have our beliefs defined and determined by this thing. There are five things that happen to the church when the Holy Spirit is present. There are five things that happen in the life of the believer when the Holy Spirit soaks your life. Here's the first one. Number one, the Spirit births an inborn motivation to go. Everybody say go. Mission. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons that we're passionate about mission in our church and why we talk about our Jerusalem and our Samaria, but we also talk about the ends of the earth, and I'll tell you why, because that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm going to say something else. If you're not passionate about the gospel going to the ends of the earth, it's not because you believe something different. It's because you don't have the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled Christianity is go Christianity. Go Christianity. I had someone dress me down last year. We usually spend May focusing on our mission. I said, you know, why aren't we focusing on our backyard? Why are we focusing all around there? I'm not having that debate with someone. Because the book of Acts clearly teaches me that when the Holy Spirit comes upon me and in my life, a different motivation is born and I cease to have a controversy between what God wants to do in my front yard or my backyard and I become passionate about the gospel here and about the gospel there and about the gospel to the ends of the earth. Can I get an amen in the house? So if you're not passionate about mission, my friend, it's time to fall on your knees with tears on your eyes and say, God, fill me with your spirit because I don't know you. If you roll your eyes when we talk about mission in mission month, what it says to me is, you're dry. And if you were ever filled with the Holy Spirit, you're sure not now. I'm not accusing you. I'm not beating you. I'm being honest with you about what God's Word teaches us, my friend. Because too many of us are living as Christian humanists without the Holy Spirit. We're depending on ourselves. We're depending only on our brains. Now, you should depend on your brain. The Bible says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. But if you are loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, you know the only way I can do that is if God's Spirit is in me, birthing the fruit that needs to be there in my life. And too many of us are Christian atheists living only out of a set of rules and doctrines and beliefs, but not actually walking in a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit births a motivation to go. In the book of Acts, the first thing that happens is they don't stay and have a conference. They don't shut themselves in and have a fire conference. They go out and they speak to people about how wonderful Jesus is. And they bring people from outside to inside the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen in this place? Selfish Christianity, we look like a holy huddle. Spirit-filled Christianity, we have an inbuilt motivation to go. We go on mission trips. We share our faith. We pray for others. We want people to know just how wonderful Jesus is. And the only explanation for not wanting that is when we don't really know him ourselves, I'm afraid. All through Acts, you see this rhythm. They come together. The Holy Spirit moves. They go out. They never say the Holy Spirit moves. They stay home. So mission is a direct work of the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. Let me get an amen. We don't keep it to ourselves. Don't feel bad if you're not a good evangelist. Don't feel bad if you're not a good witnesser. Don't feel bad if you don't know all the apologetics answers. 
ask for more of God's Holy Spirit. Ask God, Lord, this is just evidence that I need your spirit, that's all. Because when you have it, you will have power to witness. The second things that happen is the spirit births speech that can be understood by others. There's too much weird stuff in the modern church, especially in the revival end and especially in the super spiritual end. Because what I see too often, and I've had the privilege of seeing it all around the place, I speak at conferences, I speak at other churches, and one of the things I'm always doing is I'm listening for, what is their speech like here? How do they talk about stuff? And can I tell you something? There's a camouflage for people who are not full of God's spirit that compensate with Christianese, with spiritual sounding religious jargon. Talk too much theology, talk too much lingo, too much insider talk. And there's also the tendency in the revival circles, and I'm not against revival, but I am against this factor. There's too much talk in revival circles that is weird and difficult to understand and can never make sense to a listening world. And you know why? Because that's not the Holy Spirit. That is just immature flesh. It is immature, selfish, insider talk. And on the day of Pentecost, you don't see that. What you see is not only was there an impetus to go, but there was an impetus to share the wonders of God in a language that outsiders could understand. So let me tell you the holy and beloved preoccupation of someone who has the Holy Spirit in their life. How do I take what is in God and help other people understand it? Oh, you wouldn't understand. Wrong answer. You know, when someone walks to church and they've never been to church, the worst thing in the world is to greet them and go, well, praise God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, brother. Give them a hug and say, you washed in the blood of the lamb today? I used dove. See, it's insider talk. They have no idea what it means. We should never judge our Christianity by how flowery our prayers sound. Jesus said, actually, that's what the pagans do. Let me give you a challenge. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me power to talk in a way that people understand. Help me talk in a way that people understand. I love going to barbecues. I do a lot of weddings and almost at every wedding I get sat near basically the family member's biggest project sinners, if you like. They're like, that's it, Pastor Ben's going to get them. He's going to sit with them. And I sit there and I always pray and I pray regularly throughout the process of that wedding and I make them drink more wine. Have some more. Get happy. I want to talk to you. And I say, God, when I leave this place, let me have left a deposit in them where they know a little bit more about Jesus. Don't let my Christianese be a barrier. Don't let the difficultness to understand of what I think be a barrier. Actually, help me get into their shoes and get into their worldview and declare the wonders of God and let them go, far out, that guy's a pastor, but I could understand what he said. I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I'll tell you this. I actually often, often get follow-up mail from family members who don't know Jesus, who will say, you know, I've been thinking about that conversation we had at that wedding. Could I call you? Could I talk to you? Could you pray for me? All the time. And I'll tell you, I'm not saying, look how good I am. And please don't invite me to any of your weddings to sit near your sinful family members. I'm telling you that what happens is the Holy Spirit births in us a holy desire to be understood by people. And we take responsibility. What I say is going to come across to you in terms you'll be able to understand. All through history, the church has adopted a pointer-finger posture, a finger-pointing posture. Actually, I get told I point the finger a lot when I preach, so sorry about that. The church has stood there. You sinful world. 
They can't understand what we're saying. Why are they so mad at us? Why do they hate us? Why are they against us? See, see the difference? But the Spirit births a desire to get into someone's shoes and walk with them and learn their language and talk. You're not surprised by this because that's everything you see in Jesus. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? Jesus came as a human, speaking human. John says it best. He was full of grace and truth. And we beheld his glory. No fire, no thunder. A loving, sacrificial, serving, healing, walking down the street, touching, food-eating Saviour. God was understandable because Jesus was full of spirit and truth. And he spoke words full of spirit and truth. And his hearers understood him more than they'd ever understood any prophet ever before. Can I get an amen in the house? The spirit birth speech that is understandable to others. And this also speaks toward the cross-cultural spread of the gospel, that if you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, you are passionate about the gospel finding its way to new people groups, finding its way to new tribes, finding its way to new homes, finding its way to new suburbs. Listen, I'm not beating you up. If you're not passionate about that, it's time to ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you give me the Holy Spirit in my life? Because my lack of passion for that only shows I don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm not beating you up, but I'm just telling you, this is what the value of Pentecost is in the book of Acts. Its literary function is to show you mission is the result of being full of God's Spirit, not the result of a program. Church planning is not the result of a church planning and managing like Starbucks does. Church planning is the result of the Holy Spirit birthing something. Ministry is the result of the Holy Spirit birthing something. You see this because Luke says that people from every nation under heaven... (laughs) Listen, friends, too often the church has been the place where no one can understand anything. Let's pray that God would so fill us with his spirit that everyone can understand what we're on about. Everyone in Alice Springs. That's a hopeless amen. Everyone in Alice Springs. Everyone where we send mission teams. Everywhere we go. Here's a third thing. Spirit, the Holy Spirit, moves in such a way that creates questions. Some people in the text said, What is going on? These Galileans, I get them. What's going on? (laughs) I want to be so full of God's spirit that when I sit at that wedding reception, when I talk to someone in the street, I want them to think, what's going on? I'm getting this, don't you? Let's pray for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Some onlookers said they're drunk. That's why this is happening. (laughs) You do need to know this. When God's Spirit fills your life, it's just possible something crazy might happen. It's just possible. It's just possible someone else could go, well, the only explanation is he's been hitting the forex. We know they had it on the stage in their church. But it gives you the opportunity to say, well, actually, see, this is relational. This is interface. This is connection. Actually, you might think I'm drunk. This is just something that the prophet Joel promised. (laughs) This is something that God has been planning This is an ancient thing. It's not some new psychosis. The Holy Spirit moves and gives us an opportunity to explain because questions are raised. Here's the fourth one. The Spirit births connection. Everyone say connection. I promise I'm about to finish. The Spirit births connection. In this speech, it's overlooked too much that the day of Pentecost is the most significant metaphor for how the church should do mission. It's the most significant metaphor. It has a literary, a literal function. It all happened and we should learn from it. It has a literary function. It happened that way. So we should, we should color our practice through what happened. We should be trained by this literature in how we do mission. And look what happens. 
in two places, Acts chapter 2, verse 29, sorry, in one place, in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, Peter addresses everybody hearing using this famous phrase, men and brothers. When I went to Bible college, we still talked about everything Pentecostal in King James language. So it was men and brethren, men and brethren, Peter says. Peter gets up. He says that in, in verse 29, men and brothers, all the way through, if you read his speech, his sermon, his testimony, if you read it in English, constantly all the way through, he says, fellow Israelites, fellow Jews, fellow members of the house of Israel. And see, everybody hearing from all the nations under heaven, we're used to being divided. We're used to being pushed away. We're used to being called outsiders. We're used to be called substandard. You don't speak the right language. You're not from the right country. You're not from the right people group. Get away from me. And all the way through his speech, Peter talks to them in terms that don't scatter and divide more, but he brings them together. Fellow Israelites, family members, men and brothers. This is what we would say in biblical studies. This is the uniquely unifying speech that is gospel-centered. Get that? When our speech is divisive, when our speech categorizes people and pushes them out the door, that's not spirit speech, my friend. And for too long, the church has thought, been enthusiastic about the Holy Spirit, that while we label and divide and stand and point the finger, that we're doing God's work. But that is not what you see with a Spirit-filled Peter. With a Spirit-filled Peter, you see him address a nation of outsiders, people who don't know Christ. Even in the passage, he says, you're the ones that killed him. But how does he speak? Fellow Israelites, you're my family. You're my tribe. You're my people. Verse 29. Men and brothers. When the Holy Spirit moves in us, it births connection and empathy, not division and disconnection. You know, it's very difficult for you to share the gospel with someone that you're not connected to because it's very difficult for them to hear what you're saying. Even worse, understand what you're saying. That's why I don't favor forms of evangelism that are like what I call drive-by shootings drive-by shootings. I'll get a gospel tract and I'll chuck it at you on the way past. There's no connection. You know, I'm not saying God doesn't use it. He does, but it is the exception to the rule. Sociologically in Australia, nearly 90% of people who give their life to Jesus do so because a friend brings them to a local church on a Sunday. 90%. You know how much money we spend on evangelism programs in in our nation? You know how much money we spend on crusades? You know how much money we spend on radio programs? And they all have their place. But listen, Most people, nearly 90% of Aussies, who give their lives to the Lord, do it in a Sunday morning service when they're brought by a friend. The National Church Life Survey surveys Christians and non-Christians all around the world. And they surveyed people who weren't Christian. And they asked them, have you ever been to church? And everyone who said no, they said, would you ever go? Or is there something stopping you? Listen to this. They surveyed 3,000 people who had never been to church before. And 90% of those people said, the number one reason I haven't been is because I don't know anyone that goes and no one's ever invited me. So maybe it's time to connect more with people. Maybe it's time to bring people in. Maybe it's time to invite a friend. Hey, you know what you should do? I praise God for the testimonies we've heard over the last few weeks as the church has been getting back together of people who've given their lives to Jesus for the very first time. Other people that have been bought by a friend and their friend didn't know, but when they were really young, they used to go to Sunday school. And there's been an ache and an absence of God in their heart for years. And in this season, they've reconnected with Jesus. 
Is that because I'm a good preacher? Definitely not. It's because you're a good connector. And what you've done is you've joined them to our community and brought them as an insider. You know what they hear? Men, brothers, women's, sisters. They hear family. They hear community. They hear welcome. They hear connection. Well, Peter says men and brothers in verse 29. But then check this out. In verse 37, when the crowds respond, Luke says, when the crowds responded, the crowd said, men, brothers, what should we do? You see what happens? The crowd has mirrored Peter's speech. This is significant linguistically. It's not an accident. Luke's not just grappling for words. He's being strategic in what he's saying. Peter addressed them as men and brothers. And the one addressed as men and brothers responded with men and brothers. That's called speech that resonates. You're connecting me. You're joining me. You're inviting me. I am one of you. And pretty soon, those who are hearing the wonders of God declared in ways they could understand, being called men and brothers, an ache is coming out of their heart. How do I find Jesus, my brother? You're saying I'm your family. How do I really become family? (laughs) It's an amazing thing. You have to understand this is Luke's point. Pentecost is driving something. It's driving connection in a world that divides. It's driving empathy in a world that doesn't care. It's driving unity in a world of broken tribalism. It's driving family in a world of loneliness. The Holy Spirit turns people into our family. People out there that don't believe, people who persecute the faith. Peter's talking to people who killed Jesus. Men, brothers, my tribe, my family. Let me help you find the way. That's what he's saying. And it resonates in their hearts and it draws a response from them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit speech births connection and intimacy and empathy. Here's the last one. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus and results in the spread of the gospel. There's a genuine problem with modern spirit talk where Jesus doesn't feature enough. There's a problem with modern spirit talk where ministries are more concerned about the photo of their preachers and the photos of their crowds on their brochures and on the backdrops of their stages. I think it's a problem in a ministry when a man's name is bigger than Jesus' name in the ministry. And actually it trains us with the wrong expectation because it sets us back where we think you have to be someone special. You have to be someone famous to be able to share Jesus. You know, Peter, we get Peter's speech in the book of Acts, but Luke has already said they all did it. Here's the example that everyone else was doing. And we need to see that the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is not to lift ourselves up, not to lift our church up, not to lift our brand up, not to lift our programming up, to lift Jesus up. Holy Spirit will always be pushing Jesus forward. I have a problem with people who are so claim to be so filled with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus never gets a mention. I have a problem because it's not biblical Christianity and it won't change anyone's life. Okay, you've had a tough day. I've given you five things. The Holy Spirit births a motivation to go. The Holy Spirit births speech that is understandable to others. Spirit activity causes questions and things that can be explained. Number four, the Holy Spirit births connection and empathy. And number five, the Spirit exalts Jesus. I don't really care what you think about spirit baptism and tongues and spiritual gifts and whether you're from a conservative church background or a lunatic church background where you love it. I don't really mind, but I think we could all agree 
Don't we want our church to be a place through whom those five things happen? Well, my friends, and we're going to talk about this maybe in the next couple of weeks. The only way it happened is because they were all together. Together. They're of one accord, one passion, one mind, their heart. There's lots of reasons you and I could disagree on all sorts of stuff, but I bet we can agree on Luke's literary sketch of Pentecost and how it encourages and defines the mission of the church. Could I get an amen? Would you stand on your feet all over this place? We're going to close in prayer today. Thank you for joining us online. Just join us in prayer too online. The thunder was not in the sky. The thunder was in the church. And right now, I want you to lift your hands out before your Father in heaven all over this place. I want you to begin to pray right now. Come on, in Jesus' name, wherever you are. Begin to pray, God, fill our church with your Holy Spirit. If you're here, listen, almost the answer to everything that you're facing is being more filled with the Holy Spirit. God, I'm struggling with anger. Well, that's not a fruit of the Spirit, so you need more Spirit. God, I'm struggling with the trauma of my past. Well, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so He can capture your heart with vision for the future. God, I'm struggling with this addiction. You need the Holy Spirit so He can bring His wholeness into your life. God, I'm struggling. I'm feeling dry. My faith is weak. Well, you need the Holy Spirit to come and take the Word of God and birth faith into your life. And the Holy Spirit is not just for spiritual black belts and spiritual superstars. The Holy Spirit understands it's not possible in human strength to follow God. You actually need help. You need help to be holy. You need help to find victory. You need help to find healing. You need help to have faith. And you cannot do any of it in your own strength. So God says, if I breathe into you, I will fill you with strength to do what you need to do. Don't walk on your own. Don't feel dry. Don't feel full of doubt. It's okay to be that way. But now turn your eyes upon Jesus. Start asking, God, would you fill me with the presence of Jesus? God, would you fill me with the presence of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, John baptised you with water, but in a few days, I will baptise you in the Holy Spirit. John dunked you in water, but I will dunk you in the Spirit. And that's what our church needs and that's what our world needs is a body of people who are dunked in the Holy Spirit and who live and move because of the activity of God, not because of their own wrestle. So come on, I just want you to pray. God, fill me with your spirit all over this place. Lift up your hands. Use your own voice. Some of you right now begin to say it in a language that you've never even learned before, and that's okay. And others, you're just fine to stand there and pray in the language you do know. It's also okay. But I want to hear this place filled with the thunder of heaven right now. And I'm not talking about explosions in the sky. I'm talking about a voice from the church. I want you to step out of your comfort zone right now. If you're not a lifting the hands type person, why don't you give it a go? Lift your hands. If you're a, I like to pray quietly type of person, that is not what you see on the day of Pentecost. So why not formulate a new habit right now and make some noise with your own mouth? God, why don't you just begin to start by thanking God if you don't know what to say. God, I thank you that you are moving in our church. Pray for our church, friend. Pray for yourself. Pray for the people in our church. Pray God would soak our church in His Spirit so that we could be a church on mission, so that we could be effective, so that we could be fruitful, so that we could be a place of healing in Jesus' name. 
I pray for you, church. I pray in Jesus' name that you would be soaked in the Holy Spirit of God. I pray right now, even though I can't lay a hand of you, I pray that the Holy Spirit of heaven would lay hold of you in Jesus' name and that your life would be soaked in God, that your life would be soaked in the breath of God, that your life would be soaked in the Spirit of God and you would be motivated out of your walk with Him that's dynamic and a walk with Him that's active and a walk with Him that makes a difference is not just something that lives in your head, but a fire that burns in your heart, my friend, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. The Holy Spirit is moving right now into every person's life under the sound of my voice, bringing freedom, bringing liberty, bringing gifts, bringing filling, bringing wholeness, bringing a revelation of Jesus. Lord, birth in us a hunger. This is what I know God is saying to me right now, that some of us are just not hungry enough. And I know God is going to stay His hand in our church until we are all together, together and hungry for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And unless we're all hungry, unless we're all together, we are never going to see what God wants to do in this place because He wants to use you and I to bring it into being. I bless you today, my friend. I pray you go with a growing sense of the power of God. But more, I pray this word would disturb you. I pray this scripture would bother you. I pray it would get in your heart like antivirus software and it would disturb you until you sense and know and see your own breakthrough in the spirit that you can genuinely live a life out of the power of Pentecost and the value of Pentecost, which is the fire of God that helps you do everything that you need to do in Jesus' name. I pray for you, my friend. I pray that you would leave this place more hungry than ever before. I pray that you would leave this place craving more of the presence of God and that you would then pray and fast and search the scriptures and spend time with Jesus. That you would worship with his people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, we have... um, On the 28th of June, 6 p.m. service, we have an encounter night coming up. Once a month, we have a prayer-focused night. We call it our encounter night because we worship, we pray, we stand and soak in God's Holy Spirit. This is what I'm doing. I'm asking everyone in our church, be here in person, although we can only fit 120 people in the room. So when when we get 120 registrations, that's it. You're not able to be here in person. But if you couldn't be here in person, join us online. Get your family together. Get a couple of friends together and join us for the online service on the 28th of June at 6 p.m. And I'm believing that night that what we're going to do is have some time of focused prayer. Time of focused prayer for our church and our region, the mission that we're on, for God to fill us with the Spirit. And I know God has shown me, sometimes as a pastor of a church, what God does is He lifts the veil on where He's taking the church and He just gives you a little sneak peek. And God has shown me a little sneak peek of that night that that people are going to receive the Holy Spirit that night for the first time in their lives. People are going to be filled with God's Holy Spirit and see new things growing out of their life. I know that people are going to be healed on that night. I know that that night people are going to have life-controlling problems 